from Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm your host, Amanda Icone. In the U.S., black accountants are rare. An estimated 1% of all 650,000 some odd CPAs in the U.S. are black. That's less than 7,000 people. Black partners are similarly few in number. Black women who make partner at a big four firm, even rarer in a field whose leaders are mostly white men. At Deloitte, for example, just 2% of its partners, principals, and managing directors are black. But the firms are trying to change that. All of the big four firms offer scholarships, training, mentoring, and other programs targeting black and Hispanic students and professionals, hoping to broaden the pool of prospective recruits and then hopefully keep them in the profession long term. The challenges to diversifying accounting are complex, but well known. They include inequities in education, not knowing a CPA personally, and competition with other careers. But another reason is that accountants today have to take the equivalent of five years of college to earn their CPA license. With the cost of education reaching stratospheric levels, that can often be financially out of reach for people from disadvantaged backgrounds. Deloitte and competitors KPMG and PwC have announced aggressive minority hiring goals and have made commitments to the tune of tens of millions of dollars to target various hurdles that Black and Hispanic recruits face to enter and stick with public accounting, including those education requirements. Today, we're talking with Thalia Smith, an audit partner with Deloitte. She's one of those rare black women to make partner at a big four firm, and she's the kind of accountant firms are trying to attract in greater numbers. She's working with Deloitte's leaders to help others follow in her footsteps. She spoke about how she found accounting and the challenges she overcame as she climbed the ladder in an overwhelmingly white field, or what she would call being a square in a room full of circles. My story is like the story of, of many others. I grew up in a low middle income family. Um, I was one of four kids to actually finish college. My, my siblings decided that college was not the path for them. And to be quite honest, um, Having a mother that was an elementary school teacher and a father that worked for the sanitation and health department, I had no real dreams for myself. And so the fact that I am a partner in one of the the largest consulting firms in the world um, was not what the Thalia of age 10 or age 16 had imagined for her life. And so um, sharing that story with others is, is important um, to me so that they can see the potential of what they also could be. So, so let's start about, let's talk about the start of your career. You joined Deloitte right out of college. How, how did you get your foot in the door at, as you put it, one of the largest consulting firms in the world, um, certainly one of the largest accounting firms in, in the U.S.? It's, it's a highly competitive application process to, to start at any of the big four. How, how did you end up there? What was your entry point? Um, another funny story. So um, I was a sophomore in college when uh, my mom actually said to me, Thalia, you're not spending the summer home this year. You need to find a job. And I was lucky enough that at that time I was exposed to um, a professor who worked at a, at a big four firm in, a, in her previous 
um, life before becoming a professor. And so as part of that, I uh, did my research. I had the the help of my my favorite big sister, and we identified um, a number of public accounting firms for me to reach out to. And I was fortunate enough to get an internship at Deloitte after my sophomore year, and and really the rest is is history. Well, you mentioned earlier that when you were 10, 16, you never imagined yourself as a partner at a big four firm. How did you go from, you know, that teenager not sure where you were going to go to wanting to be an accounting student to researching internships at major accounting firms? I mean, how did you end up in accounting? When did you make that choice? I was introduced to accounting in elementary school. When I saw my older sister, who was six years older than me, she came home one day and she was doing accounting homework. And honestly, all I knew at the time was that I liked math, right? And so here Mm. she was with this accounting book. I saw numbers and I'm like, what are you doing? And she said accounting. And from that moment, I knew I wanted to do accounting. I had no idea, again, no idea what this career could offer me, but I saw numbers. I mean, needless to Mm. say, over the last 19 years it's been a lot more than numbers, right? And so from that very first moment that I took my first accounting class in high school, um, and I began to recognize, okay, this is a language in and of itself. But here is this language that I'm doing really great in um, that can be applied to almost any business out Mm -hmm. there. And so from that, that really um, grew a love within me for um, the, the profession itself. I went on to college. I you know, had my first accounting 101 class, my first auditing class, and then as I mentioned, um, knew that I wanted to actually experience um, the profession firsthand. And so um, when I applied to Deloitte and I got in, I remember that first day um, on the job as part of you know, corporate America, um, it really just changed my perception of what the, the world had to offer. I'm still not sure I recognized it even at that point when I took that first internship. For me, what I saw was something something different than I had grown up with. Mm. Um, you know, working with with senior executives um, and others who were driving businesses that ran our economy, right? right. Um, that is that is what I saw, which was a little bit different than than both of my parents who who worked um, in, in in government service jobs. Sure. So when did you make that? a career goal to become a partner? Was it at that early stage of your career? This is a question that I get time and time again when I talk to um, potential candidates and interns with respect to when did I make that decision. It was the summer before I made senior manager, so pretty well into my career when I realized Mm -hmm. the next step and the last step after senior manager was partner, I then took a step back and I made a decision that summer, is this what I want? Um, and, and to be quite honest about the things that ran through my head at the time, um, a lot of it was, to your point about me being, I'm going to call it a, a unicorn per se, <laughs> I recognized that um, you know not many other Black females had gone, um, who had been before me as a, as mm-hmm. a partner. Um, And I figured if others were saying to me, and and I did hear from a number of partners that I absolutely had the potential to be a partner, I recognized that it was incumbent upon me to do this, not just for myself, but for all the other Black um, women professional coming up behind me who needed to see someone there in order to, to strive for it themselves. I mean, that's quite an opportunity and a responsibility to walk through that door and know that you'll be 
keeping it open for others. Absolutely. And I, I take that responsibility very seriously. Um, it, it's honestly the, the purpose that I live by. I've always mm-hmm. been very um, focused on having a purpose-driven life. And, and, and I do think it's part of my purpose within the firm. Accounting education is a mix of technical as well as kind of bigger, softer business skills. And, and I wonder how you approached our education because it's, it's, it's a five-year slog. It, you know, you can, some students do it in four, but it's, you know, 150 credit hours that students have to get, you know, you mix in internships into the mix. How, how did you approach your education? Did you have a plan on how you were going to get all those, those credit hours you needed to earn the CPA? And, and, and what did your parents say when they knew that you might have to pay for five total years of education? I had no plan. Um, again, when I, when I think back to my upbringing, I honestly thought that I was going to go to community college, to mm-hmm. say the least, because I had no idea how I would pay for college or university. And I was lucky. And, and I, I always tell this story of you know, my whole life has been just, you know, one set of special moments after the other, one set of lucky moments after the other. And one of those lucky moments um, was when a university within uh, New Jersey reached out and said, we're, we're focused on diversifying our student population. Um, you know, we've heard a lot about you from your high school. Again, I was a, a 3.5 a GPA student who was thinking about going to community college because I had nowhere else to go. And they said, we're going to give you a full scholarship. Um, to come to our university in New Jersey. Um, To say the least, I second-guessed it for a while because I'm actually not from the the New York metro area, which is now where I live, and I would have to leave home in order to to move to university in New Jersey. And my parents, quite honestly, they second-guessed it as well. And it was my older sister who actually walked in to, to both me and my parents and said, opportunities like this don't come every day. Um, you have the potential to do some great things. You should do it. And um, that was that was the start of it. That was the start of it. And so I got four years of um, room and board um, wow. covered. Yeah. And um, from there, it was just I was just focused on I have to clear those credits as much as I can because I had no idea how it would cover a fifth year. So I actually graduated, I want to say, with maybe 136 to 138 credits because I wanted to get as many as I could for free. It was right around the time that they were changing um, the rules from 120 to 150 credits. And so there were those few states that would allow you to still sit for the CPA exam without the 150. And so um, I sat in Delaware, which was one of those states. I sat the exam in Delaware and I made a point of passing all four parts that first time. I'm like, I gotta get this done before they change this rule. And I sat all four parts in my first year with the firm and um, passed all four parts. You mentioned money. F- fiscal constraints aren't new. They, they probably haven't changed. They're probably even more of an issue for students today because the cost of college keeps going up. The, you mentioned the, the need to move and how that was a potential hurdle for, for your family to get over, but really more, it seemed more me- mental. It was a more of a mental hurdle perhaps than a necessarily a, f- a f- financial hurdle because your room and board you said was paid for. But talk about that hurdle a little bit because it's something, you know, as I've been talking with academics and leaders of the profession, we hear this, this is not an uncommon hurdle for minority students, for 
Hispanic students, for first-generation students. Why was potentially moving away from home, why did that give you pause? More times than not, I think it's, again, simply because no one else before you has done it, right? And so when I I look to my parents, um, and I looked to my older sister at the time who were, was afforded the same opportunity. She could have gone to college, but chose, chose not to, um, that for me was, I think I just reflected on that and I decided, well, this is my path, right? I'm going to do what those before me had done. I'm going to stay local. Um, I'm going to find a job at some point and I'm going to just live near family. And uh, to know at this point that I've, I've, I'm thousands of miles away um, from my parents and my siblings who all live literally still to this day within one mile of each other. Um, it was just it was just a huge decision um, to make that to make such a, a big move that no one else was really making. So today you're an audit partner. You're a leader in the firm. It, you mentioned already you talk a lot to young accountants early in their career. I wonder especially when you're talking with minority accountants, what what struggles do you see them facing today that maybe either maybe different from your own experiences or differ from their their white peers? I mean, what what are their struggles? I mean, I I honestly think the the struggles um, are are somewhat the same. Um, However, there's there's always this additional layer that's probably mostly driven by the fact that when you um, stand alone, right? If you're, if you are a square in a room full of circles, right? That, that naturally sometimes makes things a a little bit harder, right? Because you're trying to fit in Mm -hmm. and yet at the same time, you're trying to be, you know, effective, um, in the job that you're performing every day. And so in trying to fit in, that sometimes take this additional layer of energy that you have to put into, and, and someone's, uh, I heard the quote just recently, assimilation is not inclusion. The energy that, you know, um, in prior years, um, a lot of us spent putting into assimilating really put a strain on um, being able to um, bring our full selves to work and then still complete our job uh, to the best extent possible. And so for me, I think that was probably one of the the bigger aspects of what um, young diverse professionals are facing is the sense of belonging, the sense of authenticity, which sometimes empowers you um, to do your work at, at a higher level. And, and that was something I would say that I struggled with um, early in my career. And I actually remember as clear as day, the day that um, the switch flipped in my head. And I said, you know what? This is Thalia. This is who I want to be. And if the firm is not comfortable with this version of me, I don't want to be here. And, and interestingly enough, or probably not so interesting because I'm still here, when I when I made the switch to be the more genuine me, um, it, it, it didn't change anything about my trajectory. In fact, it probably actually accelerated my trajectory um, being the authentic me um, and bringing that to work every day. Why do you think that made a difference? Was it just the exhaustion factor, that energy factor? You were just able to focus more on the work versus be belonging. I mean, what what was the how how did, how did that have an impact? Do you think? I think you're spot on. I was then able to refocus that energy into the work itself and into all the other things that I was extremely passionate about. 
Um, you know, whether that was uh, being a mentor to other um, young, diverse professionals around me, um, whether that was uh, training. I'm, I, again, I got that from my mother as an elementary school teacher. I love to train people so I could spend more time um, training all professionals within our firm, which, again, um, gave me greater credibility on the job. The fact that I played a part in, in uh, developing the next generation of accountants across um, all races, ethnicities ethnicities, gender, et cetera. You mentioned earlier that that this is that, that your responsibility to those coming behind you, that diversifying the profession, that this is your purpose, this is your passion. And I want to talk a little bit about um, some, some new initiatives that the firm has that you are a part of. You know, the, Deloitte announced that the creation of a new scholarship program to help black and Hispanic students earn that fifth year of education that we just talked about, that 30 extra hours that's required to earn their CPA. I wonder, tie these two ideas together. How did you get involved with this? And 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 what are your goals for this program? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I get an opportunity to share more um, about our MADE commitment with you. Um, again, what stands for Making Accounting Diverse and Equitable. And as you've highlighted, we have a number of initiatives um, outlined uh, within this commitment. Uh, first and foremost, to your question with respect to how did I get involved, um, I was very lucky to have uh, Lara Abrash, who is our Deloitte and Touche LLP um, CEO, reach out to me um, and ask that I take a leadership role um, with her, with her and her executive team, in order to focus on this initiative and this commitment. Um, I do think it's it's in large part um, probably due to um, the brand that I had built for myself um, mm. prior to this with respect to my commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion within the firm and externally. Um, and as part of that, you know, the initiatives that we have built, weirdly enough, and I, and I say weirdly enough, not until um, we had, you know, put together our first initial list and I took a step back and I looked at the items that we had come up with, I recognized that um, a, a large majority of those items were things that had actually changed my own trajectory. Hmm. And so when you think about the, the $30 million that we've committed to um, scholarships for that fifth year master's degree, um, while I didn't have a scholarship for my fifth year, I had a scholarship for my first four years. That made a huge difference in where I am today. Um, when I think about our Stride CPA uh, readiness program that we've launched again for racially and ethnically diverse um, new hires, and that was just launched actually earlier this month, that paid time off to just focus on studying or spend a significant portion of our time focused on studying really made a difference to me uh, sitting and passing all four parts of the CPA exam during my first year in the firm. And that's what we're hoping um, we will accomplish with this, this inaugural class. If not all four parts, at least a significant you know, portion of that four. Again, changed my trajectory because once the exam was behind me, I could once again focus on um, on the work itself and my trajectory within the firm. When I think about the mentorship, the sponsorship, the leadership development programs, um, we have a number of those uh, that we are very much uh, focused on launching here in the coming months, um, both internal to the firm, but also uh, for mid-career professionals in the broader profession, again, to give them insight into uh, what you would call some of the, the softer skills um, mm -hmm. or the intangibles 
that get you into leadership positions, these are all facets within our, our overall commitment, and we're super excited about each of them. And again, these were items that, that changed my personal trajectory. A lot has changed in the last year, uh, but the accounting profession has, you know, acknowledged for really decades at this point that the, that it lacks diversity, that it does not reflect the the wider population of our country. There have been pledges and studies and and recent hiring commitments from the largest firms, and I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how the events of the last year have changed the conversation in accounting. I mean, the murder of George Floyd, the protests that followed, Juneteenth is now a federal holiday, um, the impact that the pandemic has had. Um, I mean, I I think you hit the nail on the head, Amanda, with respect to uh, we as a profession and, and probably corporate America as a whole have been talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion for years. Um, but within this last year, and, and I can speak again specifically um, to Deloitte, um, we took a step back and we spent time actually um, talking and listening to our people. Um, we actually also spent time talking and listening and, and researching um, others outside the firm, right? And so we, we spoke to colleges, we spoke to community leaders, we spoke to clients. We got all of their views with respect to the barriers um, that were facing Black, Hispanic, and Latinx uh, youth and professionals um, and and really causing us to to miss the mark with respect to uh, parity in our diversity numbers within the profession. And so we spent, I would say we spent a significant portion of time in the last year doing that. And that's really what enabled us to um, be targeted to be intentional um, and to identify uh, direct initiatives to address those barriers. And so um, I'm super proud of the work that uh, my leaders have done specifically when I when I think about um, Lara and, and Joe and, and Steve Kimball, who is our, our tax CEO, the time that they spent listening and then the fact that um, they realized that, you know, the time for listening was passed and we needed to move to action. Um, and we have been enacting ever since. Thanks, Thalia. It was really great talking with you today. Amanda, thank you so much for having me. Um, and I look forward to future opportunities to speak with you again. That was Thalia Smith, an audit partner with Deloitte. Tell us whose story we should profile next. Send us your suggestions on Twitter. We use the handle at tax, that's at T-A-X. And in the meantime, Check out our website for the latest tax and accounting developments at news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's episode of Talking Tax was produced by Amanda Icone and David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor. Our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks for listening to Talking Tax. From Washington, I'm Amanda Icone. For our next season of Uncommon Law, we're looking at the regulatory future of big tech. The giants need to be broken up. Facebook, Google, all of them. Is big tech impinging on your right to free speech? They've had unchecked power to censor, restrict, edit, shape, hide, alter. Misinformation, disinformation. It's like a big Venn diagram. We do not want to become the arbiters of truth. We're calling this series Unchecked. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.